Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. So glad we're going to have this time together. I've been looking forward to it all day since I got up. I got up early this morning and I thought I can hardly wait to be with my peeps today. It's going to be great because we're going to have guide talk coming up. We're going to once again do the British extended version. So we're going to go 90 minutes today with guide talk. I hope that's okay with my guests. I guess I didn't even mention it. (laughs) I should do stuff like that more often. Let my guests know, hey, you know, you're on for 90 minutes today. But Power Panel today is assembling as I speak. I have uh, Pastor Tom Parrish, Pastor Justin Jepson, Dr. Peter Kaptner will be joining us at half past the hour. And Tom Brock is in the Black Hills, and he's trying to connect with us via the telephone. So he'll probably come on any minute and, of course, that means all you have to do is uh, let me know what questions you have, what uh, issues you would like us to talk about, maybe a, a passage from Scripture, maybe something you would like us to discuss. We'd love to hear from you. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. I've only got a few questions today, so I, I'm going to need your help. So let me know what questions you have for me today. 877-93-FAITH. Gentlemen, welcome. Good to be with you, Bill. Hello. Great to be here, Bill. Nice to have you, Justin. How's your day going? Uh, it's going great. It's going great. Awesome. Been... Mm-hmm. Let's jump in. Uh, in 2020, American Worldview Inventory, this was done by George Barna. He's been a guest on the show many times. I like George a lot. He discovered that some 44% of American believers think that Jesus sinned. Regarding belief in Jesus, 44% of respondents who claim believe in Jesus also believe he sinned, whereas 41% say he did not. That is a crisis of faith, if you ask me. That's big. It's a problem that's pretty prevalent today. Wow, it's stunning. It's horrible, because people are not really searching the scriptures as much as they're letting hearsay and opinion drive their thinking without really looking in the first place. That's the mistake, and I challenge people all the time. Go back and really look at the scripture. See what he has to say. And then let mm-hmm. your heart be convicted one way or the other. I firmly believe he mm-hmm. never sinned, and he is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I think it's interesting to think about where where, do, where does this arise out of, and what's the kind of, you know, purpose behind where, where does this belief? And obviously it's not rooted in the scriptures. And no. the scripture is very mm-hmm. clear in Hebrews 4 that Jesus, you know, was uh, he was tempted in every way that we were, yet he was without sin. And I think some people have, you know, tried to, uh, you know, in, in, interestingly enough, almost humanize Jesus uh, to the point where they say, well, if he didn't ever sin, then how can he truly empathize with us in all of our weaknesses? And I think that's a little, that's, that's a misnomer because, I mean, having Jesus uh, sin does not make him more human. It does not, not make him more human, but actually less human. Sin makes us less than what we ought to be. So, Jesus is more human than we would ever be, so he fully understands what it means to be human. And, you know, every other human has, has given into temptation. So um, if, if I were to, you know, uh, 
the sin of gluttony, whatever it is. And I order to try not to eat, try not to eat, and I try to combat that. But eventually, maybe I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to. I'm going to totally binge uh, bags or bags of potato chips. Right. Okay. I've I, I've given into a certain point, but that temptation still had more gas in its tank, so to speak. You know, and and Jesus experienced the full gamut of that temptation. And in fact, Jesus didn't have to sin to understand what it was like because. It says in Second Corinthians 5.20 that he became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So he fully understands it. So I, I, I've heard that teaching arise out of the sentiment of like, well, then it actually makes them be able to empathize with us even more so when actually the exact opposite is true. Good word. You know, and that's exactly right. In my uh, last congregation— uh, which is a great congregation. I would get to visitors, and I'd go to meetings, and I'd hear people talk, and we'd talk about a variety of things. And I was always amazed how many people would say to me, well, Tom, you know, my Jesus would mm. love all people. Mm. My Jesus would do this or that. And it took me a few times before I finally got on the bandwagon to understand. I would say to them, where do you find your Jesus? Show me your Jesus yeah. in the Bible. Where do you get information about your Jesus? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they couldn't. They struggled with that. And they'd always challenge them to read the Gospel of John. I'd say, hey, let's go through the Gospel of John together. Let's read all the 21 chapters and see what Jesus really says. And I did have some actually do that, and it changed their hearts well, and their minds. Of course minds. it did. You know, when a person like uh, CNN commentator Don Lemon makes that comment on the air that Jesus sinned, uh, it, it's going to raise the into the level of discussion people that are going to be approaching you saying uh, that Jesus uh, did sin. How would you respond to them? Well, go ahead, Peter, if you've got, I mean, uh, Justin, if you've got something. Tom Brock, I think, has joined us as well. Tom, welcome. Uh, hi. Hi, everybody. I hi, was, Tom. I was sightseeing. You know, I've got a, I've got a thought for you, Bill, on this one. Oh, Don fantastic. Lemon, who's a, he's a secular commentator or news person, and he says that. What happens when you go to a church Ooh. and the Methodist preacher says, quote, I'm quoting him, we know Jesus wasn't perfect. You can't relate to someone if they're perfect. And I wanted to scream. I mean, if Jesus wasn't perfect, there goes our atonement, because then Jesus had to atone for his own sins on the cross. The reason he could atone for the sins of the world is because he had no sin of his own, so he could be our substitute. But if, if, you, if you deny that Christ is sinless, which the Bible teaches, um, then, then there goes our salvation. Well, not only is the salvation gone, but the real Jesus is gone for people because yeah. they have no power to live by. They live by their own ideas and their own philosophy. And isn't that the problem today? It's like the book of Judges. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And we're seeing that in America right now. And it creates chaos and a lot of problems. Amen. Nice word, you guys. Appreciate that. All right, here's a question from a listener. The church I attend has young adult and youth groups. Since we lost our youth pastor, members from within the group have taken their place. I don't think the church has the funds to support a youth pastor. However, I'm seeing how necessary it is. Should the youth group be led by a pastor? Should the 20-something young adult group have a pastor? Hmm. I think I, uh, yeah, could speak into this as, you know, I've been able to ha- have the privilege of serving as a youth pastor before. And I, and I think uh, on one hand, I would say, you know, Absolutely, um, that that group does need uh, a pastor. Now, that does not necessarily entail that that person has to be a, maybe a paid professional staff. I think that there, there needs to be 
um, a shepherd, but also more, more importantly, shepherds in place. And, um, you know, it, it was interesting. I, I heard a, I read an article the other day, um, actually just yesterday, uh, talking about how this, this current time in the COVID-19 global pandemic, that this is actually a, such a crucial time for student ministry, um, because for the first time, uh, perhaps in its history, that, that, that students don't, there isn't, there, there aren't, there is not com- like other competing youth groups. There is no more competition for student ministry. I mean, they have their local group and they, they, they can't necessarily travel and check out other churches in the same way that, that they could. And so there's the sense of um, being, being able to have the opportunity to gather small in order to have a big impact. And we're seeing this even from, you know, J.D. Greer announced the other day that Summit Life Church is not reopening in 2020, and they're instead breaking down and meeting into, um, into house, house churches, and they're, and they're mobilizing people to be able to do that and to reach a level of a depth of discipleship like none other. And so um, I, I don't think that that group has to have one centralized person necessarily, but there needs to be um, uh, the, the pastor, the shepherd of the shepherds of the church being able to help mobilize and encourage, equip, and empower others to be leading that group because that's that's so vital and they're not i like to say they're not the future of the church they are the church they have a place in the church now not only ministry to uh youth but also through youth to the rest of the church but it is also true um that you are developing the future future leaders within the church and future shepherds in the church if you were in the studio justin i'd put a gold star on your forehead (laughs) can you save that bill i will i will save it yeah it's good stuff all right really good stuff and and you know, Bill, on this one, I would say there's no right or wrong answer. There are ch- there are churches that have young adult leaders that are totally volunteer led from yep. within, and they do fine. There are other churches they that I mean, I was hired uh, way back in 1981 to be the youth uh, the young adult pastor at my church because the senior pastor just wanted some help, and that worked fine too. I I think either way, you just got to seek the Lord on this one specifically. For your situation, and either way can be fine. Okay, awesome. Now, before I go to break, I just want to say, uh, Pastor Tom Brock, you are in the Black Hills right now today. Is that correct? I'm sorry, I was sightseeing. Oh yeah, well, boo-hoo, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole different world out here. I bet it is. Uh, we're glad you're joining. Conservative out here. So anyway, we're glad you're joining us today. Thank you for Thank uh, you. taking time off of your little sightseeing trip to join us on Guy Talk. That means a lot. I really do appreciate good to, you. Good to be here. Yeah. All right. I'm going to take a break, but when I come back, I've been on a series of, of salvation, and I want to bring up uh, John in chapter 5, verse 24. We're going to talk about eternal life, too, when we come back. Be right back. with Guy Talk. Thank you so much. Some good questions are coming in. We're going to get to those questions. If you have one, a concern, an issue, something you'd like us to chew on, we'd love to hear from you. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. That gets us to a text line. So feel, oh, feel free. I think we've got a 
call screener, too, so you can actually call and talk on the program if you like. We'd love to hear from you. Either way, 877-93-FAITH. All right, I've been doing a, a weekly series on salvation, and I'm loving that. I'm doing that with uh, Dr. Peter Kapschner, who will be joining us in 13 minutes. In John 5, 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. What does that mean for believers today? And by the way, when does eternal life begin? It's interesting. The Bible's pretty <laughs> emphatic on this, that eternal life begins the moment. Instantaneous. You trust in Jesus. Yes. I mean, it is mm-hmm. on the spot. The other thing is, in this text, which I love, one of my favorites, the concept there of hearing, as I went back and I did some real study years ago in the Greek on that, hearing doesn't mean just hearing with your ears. It means hearing mm-hmm. with your life. And hearing with your life means you act on it. When you really care about something, you don't just talk about it or think about it occasionally. You act on it, and it becomes your entire life. That's what Jesus is saying. When you hear my word, and you really act on it and make it your life, you have crossed from death to life. And I have been privileged to see many people at that final moment, literally on their deathbed, confess Jesus for the first time and pass from death to life. And it's a marvelous experience. Well, I would... I, you know, Bill, I just got this question from my TV show and answered it, and somebody wrote me to correct me because I said Christians will have to go through Judgment Day. And he quoted the verse you just did that yeah. does not come into judgment but has eternal life. The word judgment, if I remember right, can also mean condemnation. Yeah. And what you have in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Paul is writing to Christians, and he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, to receive according to what each one has done in the body, whether good or bad, therefore knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. So in in 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul teaches Christians will go through Judgment Day. And then you've got this John 5 passage where Jesus talked about Christians not coming into judgment. I'm taking that to mean condemnation. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Christ, our judgment has taken place at the cross. Christ was condemned in our place. But we still have to go through Judgment Day because there will be varying degrees of reward. And that's 1 Corinthians 3, where Paul talks about two different Christians. They both get into heaven, but one goes in with a reward, and the other barely makes it and goes smoking in. But if you uh, – I think we got to maintain two things. Yeah, Christians will go through Judgment Day, and Paul says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, I think it's going to be an awesome time. But we still go into Judgment Day knowing ahead of time the verdict that I'm forgiven, I've been declared not guilty, uh, it's called justification by faith alone. So I know I'm saved, I know the judgment at the end will be favorable because of the cross, but I still have to go through it. I think many people are afraid of the word judgment, because we it's usually been used in Christianity to refer to people are going to hell. You come under judgment, you come under the Lord's, uh, you know, the fear of the Lord. If you think of that word judgment and you transfer the word or put in the word evaluation, now that's not a, you can't prove that biblically, but it's pretty close as I look at it. On the day of judgment or on the day of evaluation, those who trust in Jesus will still be evaluated as to how we lived out our life and how we serve the Lord, not in terms of heaven or hell, but in terms of fulfilling what Jesus had intended for us to do in the first place. On the other hand, those that didn't receive Jesus, it's not an evaluation of what they did or didn't do. It's who they didn't believe in, who they didn't kneel before. So uh, having been married to a principal and a teacher for 40-some years, I know a lot about evaluations. 
and she's very good at evaluating people. And if you don't believe there's judgment in it, you've missed the point. There really is, because even in the evaluation, you can say you're fired. But in our case, Mm -hmm. those who believe are with the Lord. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think there's also, you know, it's important to consider the confusion, I think, sometimes that surrounds eternal life. And, you know, I think it's, it's not just referring to where we go when we die. You know that we believe and that we have we have eternal life. You know to point earlier that it begins the moment that we believe and then it lasts forever. But it also influences the quality of life and the type of sure. life that we have in the here and in the now. So it's it's a very tangible, practical aspect. You know, salvation isn't just about you know kind of the classic you get out of hell free card um, that we can show. You know, when when we die and we can pass through the pearly gates. You know that that idea. I think it's. Uh, John seventeen three that Jesus says what eternal life is. It says that they may know you, uh, the only God, uh, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom um, you have sent, and um, whom He has sent. So it's talking about a knowledge, not a knowledge about, but having a true knowledge of God, a relational knowledge of God. And what's so beautiful about this is this is a whole process. Here's my words and believes you have you have eternal life. So. But yet that process of belief of continues to grow as we continue to know uh, who Jesus is. And so, you know, and I, I look back in my own life, just a brief part of my testimony. I, I, my first prayer that I ever prayed, I didn't know four spiritual laws. I didn't know someone didn't necessarily lead me to Christ. I learned uh, when I was 12 years old that Jesus was going to come back to earth, his second coming. I knew he had come, but I didn't know that he was coming back again. And that freaked me out on one hand, but I was also incredibly curious on the other. But I realized that if I didn't know something as important as Jesus coming back to earth, I must not really know who he is. And so I said a six-word prayer that changed my life that Jesus has answered and has continued to answer. I simply said, Jesus, I want to know you. And then that began the journey for me of, of salvation. Again, it's not just about a destination. Um, it's truly a, It's truly a journey of knowing our Savior more and more intimately and the process of becoming more like Him while we live here on earth. If we and, get know, our... another verse... Go ahead, Tom. I'm sorry. Well, I'm just saying, uh, Justin, from the verse uh, the, about knowing Christ, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast right. out demons and do miracles in your name? And I will mm-hmm. say to them, depart from me, I never knew you, and get this, you workers of lawlessness. So mm-hmm. here were people that I think get, to, get surprised on Judgment Day, they thought they were saved. They're not. And why aren't mm-hmm. they? Especially when they did miracles in the name of Christ, because they were workers <laughs> of lawlessness. They never departed from sin. Now, again, in in one sense, we're all workers of lawlessness, because even after conversion, we still sin and thought word and deed daily. But there's a difference between sinning and fighting and repenting and following the Lord and giving lip service and living a life of impenitent sin. So I think mm-hmm. um, in, it's it, those are very, the, the verse. That, what is that? Matthew seven, where Jesus says, "Depart from me, I never knew you." To these people who did miracles in His name, that makes all of us want to stop and think: Okay, do I really know Christ, or is this a lip service thing? When I would visit uh, men and women in prison, Stillwater or elsewhere, you know, it was interesting. Almost every prisoner I met was a born again Christian. You know, it was amazing how these Christians kept winding up in prison. But they would they would say, oh, yes, I believe, I believe. I came to realize, and I remember saying to one gentleman, your level of faith in Jesus is going to be tested the moment 
you're let out of prison. Who are you going to serve? Who's going to be the most important in your life, person in your life? Are you going to give over your selfish behavior or your desire to take from other people and put it in the hands of Jesus and say, Jesus, make me like you? And so we talk about belief. It's not simply an intellectual process. It is a relationship. And that relationship is what must build over time to where my goal is to become more like Jesus, to know him and to honor him and to do nothing that disappoints him. Now, do I always do that? No, I don't. But I'm not so concerned how great my works are in this world. I'm more concerned about how great my love is for Jesus. And when I love him enough, guess what? I do things I never guessed I'd do in the first place. All right. Great, great uh, comments, guys. Thank you for that. Here's a question. Uh, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. Does our heart for obedience come from God? Yes, it does. And that's from, isn't it Ezekiel? I will take out of you a heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put, get this, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk after my statutes. (laughs) <laughs> and I think that means I can't keep God's law. I can't love God and obey him. But God gives me the Holy Spirit, and he causes me to be obedient. When I'm obedient to the Lord, that's the Holy Spirit working in me. And so, yeah, we have to have the Holy Spirit to produce obedience in us because we we're too weak and sinful to do that on our own. I have a little different translation, and it comes from my wife's version of the Bible. Tom, if you really love me, you will do the dishes. If you really love me, you'll take out the garbage. Mm-hmm. And I learned a long time ago, that's absolutely true. You know, I'm not doing it because it just has to be out there on Monday for the garbage collectors or we got a pile of dishes. But out of respect for her and love for her, it works obedience in my heart to do things I normally don't want to do. And I think if we can keep our relationship with Jesus in that concept of like a, a, a marriage, a almost like dating somebody, that you want to honor them. And when you want to honor somebody, guess what? All of us can do go way beyond anything we ever thought we could do in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think obedience is truly, I mean, it's one of those vital signs that we've, that of, of, of eternal life, you know, in the sense that if we've truly passed from death to life, I, I think we, we view obedience not as something that we have to go and do for Jesus. You know, Jesus uh, is, it's not like he's asking us to do all these things for him because he he needs our help. It's more that he, I like to say, he wants our help. Obedience is really the way that we actually do life with Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, so in the same way that Jesus called his disciples, right? I mean, he, 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 he that obedience to fall, to fall, to leave everything they have, to drop their nets, to leave their families and follow him I mean, they really didn't know what they were getting themselves into, but uh, but he didn't say, "Hey, I want you to come over here." And now, I, and then he sends them out right away. They, he 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 had invited them into a vital life-giving relationship with himself. And so, I think for us, I think even as Christians, and we still can bring this legalistic mentality. Jesus' call for obedience that's motivated by love is not us going and doing things for Jesus. It's coming and doing life with Jesus. I love it. All right. We're going to take a little break. Let me know if you've got a question or an issue you'd like us to cover. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-93-FAITH. When we return, we're going to have another contributor to Guide Talk. Dr. Peter Kafter will be joining us. Thank you so much for being with us. We'd love to hear your questions. Be right back.
All right, the power panel has assembled. We are here <laughs> fully equipped to take on your questions. Dr. Peter Kapsner has just joined the team. Peter, welcome. Thanks, Bill. How'd the first half an hour go? Dragged a little. <laughs> the panel is truly powerful now. Oh, yeah. Here, Peter. Right. No, it's been brilliant. It's been brilliant. It's really been good. I believe it. Um, yeah, let me ask this question. What do you guys think about uh, people that want to lay hands on people to pray? Are you a fan of that, or would you prefer not to be touched? I think it's always important to ask before you do so. I think the laying out of hands is certainly a biblical concept, and we see that all throughout Scripture. I think, um, you know, appropriate physical touch can be a powerful um, means of the Lord um, to, to give and impart a blessing. But, of course, we're living in the COVID-19 days where I, I would prefer that not to happen now. Right. And it's not, it's not a— um, something that's absolutely necessary you know in other words if i'm not physically touching you by laying my hands on you that doesn't mean it doesn't make our prayer render our prayer any less effective or powerful god prayer doesn't know any boundaries like that so i mean it's i think i i've both been a, a giver and a recipient of of laying on the hands and praying and it's been an extremely powerful time but i think it it exercises with exercise wisdom and caution and i think it's it's wise to always ask for permission before you do so and there's a couple of different kinds of laying on of hands. You have the laying out of hands for uh, when when Paul and Barnabas were about to go off on their missionary journey, they laid hands mm -hmm. on them and prayed. Then when Timothy was going to be ordained, they laid hands on Timothy and prayed. Uh, then there's healing. You know, people, I think sometimes they'd lay hands on people and pray for healing. I, I, I you know, co, co, just ignore COVID. Just let's pretend things were normal. When I was in seminary, our, our professor of pastoral care said, when you go to a hospital room, put your hand on their hand and pray for them. And, and I think the point was, you know, here's an older person. Maybe they haven't been touched in two years. And just to put your hand on their hand and just say, can I have a prayer for you? I mean, I, I, I understand, uh, Justin, asking permission uh, in normal conditions, but... Sometimes when you're going into a parishioner's bedroom, I mean hospital rooms, you just want to put your hand on their hand before you pray. And I'm not a touchy-feely guy at all, but if if I don't do that, I can just feel that it, it just doesn't mean as much. Interestingly, Jesus, you think about his ministry. He touched the lepers. Mm -hmm. He touched the unclean. He touched people that the Pharisees and Sadducees said, I want nothing to do with because they're unclean. And I think the interesting part is, and, and I don't want to take this in the wrong direction, but I think even with COVID-19, there is a fear that we don't want to get too close because we don't want to get it. I do have the sneaking suspicion that if Jesus was here, he would still walk up the person and touch them. And somehow that's part of the, the uh, calling for some people, not everybody, but I really think Christians have to not be afraid of everything in the culture because we have more fear of not obeying the Lord or not representing him well in a given situation. But, you know, in this day and age, yeah, I have to ask permission too, just like uh, Justin brought up. 
Yeah, I, you know, I I don't know that I have a a ton to add, but sure. I didn't add anything in the first half an hour, so that's not unusual uh, at this point. But uh, <laughs> you, you. Um, <laughs> you know, the only thing that that calls to mind is uh, I I remember at some point in time, uh, a long long time ago, doing a bit of a study on the laying on of hands in the Old Testament, and like when Moses laid his hands on Joshua at the time of the conferral of leadership of the nation of Israel from. Moses, there, there was a mantle passed uh, of leadership from Moses to Joshua. And uh, there, there's a Hebrew word for that. It, it's like S-I-M. I don't know how to pronounce it exactly. But the concept within the Hebrew language is that 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 touch was more than merely symbolic, that, that there really was Power. some kind of representation in the physical realm of what was going on in the spiritual realm when that, when that touch was passed. And so I don't claim to understand all the power that's involved when we touch one another. Clearly, there's all kinds of um, sort of sort of a physiological reaction of endorphins that allow us to bond to one another in some ways that I think are really important. But uh, there's also some spiritual connections that are happening when people touch uh, over prayer. And, and certainly, as I said, in the Hebrew thinking, more was going on than just an idea of, hey, this is nice to feel bonded or uh, it's, it's kind of symbolic. There, there's something passed between people in those moments. And I suspect when Jesus healed, obviously, he was bringing the fullness uh, of his restored reality into a person's life, mm-hmm. at least temporarily in this life. So I think there is something there to that. And and uh, while I wouldn't want to crash through barriers like Justin was talking about, uh, I also agree with Brock in the sense that there is something about touching somebody in prayer, especially in times of need. You know, you just brought, you know, there's... Peter, something to mind. Uh, my wife and I were at one of the malls here in Minneapolis many years ago. And they were having a craft fair. So everybody had their crafts and stuff out. And Jan says, oh, there's Sue. She used to work for me at the school. Let's go over and talk to her. So we walk over there. And the closer I get, the more I'm not liking what I see. I see tarot cards and I see crystals and I see other things that she's got. And uh, she's willing to do psychic work for people. What was interesting is that as we walk forward and uh, Jan says, hi, Sue. And Sue looked up at me. She physically backed up. If I take a step toward her, she'd back up. You could feel it like going from air conditioning to heat. There is a power there. I can't explain it. But I experienced it in that brief moment, and we never got closer than 10 feet together, and she would not shake my hand and didn't want to have anything to do with me touching her. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, the, the opposite is, <laughs> yeah, I don't have that experience, Tom, but, <laughs> but here's, here's three times in three different places the Apostle Paul says, Greet one another with a holy kiss. And, uh, you know, we don't do that, but at, at least that shows that the early church was affectionate with one another. And we need to, uh, we need to, you know, on the other hand, we had a, uh, uh, we had an usher at my church many years ago who you, who was a little too free to go up and get a good-looking women hugs, and we had to talk. We had to talk to him more than once and say, you know, that's inappropriate. So yeah, you can you can overdo it, but most uh, I think most of us underdo it. My first congregation, mm-hmm. a new hymnal had come out. It was the first time in there it said, you know, greet one another, you know, shake hands. Why are these Germans? They did not want to shake hands. I mean, they stood there like at attention, and it was so irritating. So on Sunday morning, I'd say, let's greet one another in the name of Christ, and people just turn and say hi, and nobody do anything. So after a couple of weeks, I was ornery, and I said, hey, this Sunday, you've got a choice. St. Paul says, you know, we can either give one another a holy kiss, or you can shake hands. Do what you want. <laughs> Everybody shook hands. We never had another problem <laughs> shaking hands. <laughs> and, and, you know, along those lines, 
I uh, I served at Hope Lutheran Church with a senior pastor named Roger Carlson, and an associate pastor called Bud Bond, and then myself. Uh, three, uh, two wonderful pastors that I got to work with. Uh, Roger was a great senior pastor. Bud was the most loving pastor you'll ever meet. He's the guy you want at your deathbed, and he always hugged everybody. And on Sunday morning, the widows of the church lined up <laughs> to get their to get their hug from Bud, and uh, I'd kind of wave, "Hey, I'm over mm. here." But but no, but it's it's just these widows wanted their hug from Pastor Bond, and I think that's healthy. Sometimes yeah. you need arms around you. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Appropriate arms around you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. All right. Here's a question, yeah, gentlemen. Oh, uh, go ahead, Justin. <laughs> no, I probably don't need to even go back to it. I was like, I'm looking back, reflecting back on our conversation in my, since I started, that was the first one to respond. I'm definitely not a germaphobe, you know, so I'm definitely one that tends to actually not ask. I've just had, I've just gotten burned a couple of times with that. So I've, I've grown to be a little more cautious, but for me, I've just learned it's all about really knowing your, it's knowing your place or knowing your role. So yes, yeah. if I'm, if I'm visiting somebody as their pastor, um, in the hospital, I don't think I've ever asked if I could touch that. You know, I, I just do it. I just, I just know, yep. you know, um, but if I'm praying for somebody who I just met on the street, you know, after I got into a conversation and I say, Hey, can I pray for you? You know, I usually will, that will say, is it okay if I just place my hand on your shoulder? So that way they're not, you know, maybe they've never know, know about laying on the hands and they don't, you know, mm-hmm. they're not freaked, freaked out by it. You know, who knows what history this person may or may not have. So with physical touch. So yeah, I, I, uh, all that to say, I think I'm just even all the more mindful, knowing that we are in COVID-19. How can we, as as God's people, express affection in ways that you know we can't do it through through the means of physical touch? So that's that's a difficult thing for us to think about, you know, and, and the way that we can't gather. And obviously, we have those in our family that we do gather with, and we're not social distancing with. So think, you know, but also for those that that can't do that, or maybe aren't living with somebody or single. So I think it's a it's just something for us to be mindful of the the power of it, and because there's so much power in it, I think that's why the enemy has tried has perverted it. Justin, and if so you I, send and, me chocolate, I will so, always look at that as a hug. So don't be afraid okay. to send me chocolate. <laughs> I I noted. Likewise, you can reciprocate that. Okay, um, that sounds good. Okay, Bill, to your question. Sorry, you were gonna yeah lead us on another question. Yep. Have you ever said yes to God's right in doing with you as He pleases? I don't even know. Is that a good prayer to have? Is that part of surrender? What would you say? Yeah. No, yeah. I, I mean, if I understand the question, uh, the way that it's framed, there's been a couple of times in my life where I felt that I, I was just pushing against a wall all the time. I think in this particular case, it was vocationally and some things and uh, and felt like, gosh, I, I really want that opportunity. What And I, I don't entirely remember what the opportunity even was, but uh, but I was just pushing and pushing and pushing. And finally, I just said, you know what? Um, you probably have a, a bit of a better idea, God, than I do on behalf of my future. And so I'm going to give it up and, and you do with me what you'd like. And, and if it means that, uh, it's going to be this opportunity, then that's great. But I trust that your judgment and, and desire for what's going to happen in the future is going to be better than mine. So, yeah, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, right guys, if, if people feel that all the time, you push and push and push on something and finally you're like, Hang on a minute. Maybe I need to rethink the situation and strategy a little bit. 
Early in my mm-hmm. ministry, I made the mistake that Bill's talking about. I remember literally getting on the side of my bed one day. I'm a new pastor, don't know what I'm doing, flying by the seat of my pants. It's not easy. But I remember getting on the side of my bed and saying, Jesus, I give you permission to do whatever you need to do with me to make me just like you. That was the stupidest prayer I ever prayed (laughs) because Jesus took me seriously. And quite honestly, guys, over 40 years of ministry, I've been beaten up a lot. I've been humiliated. I've been hurt. Uh, I've seen things go awry in my family. It has not been an easy process. Yes, some of it was my fault, but a lot of stuff came to us as well. And I, my wife always reminds me, she said, you're the one who prayed the prayer. I said, well, thank you very much. She said, but, but you want to be like Jesus. I said, well, yes, I do. Then what else can you pray? And she's absolutely yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you decide yeah. what is beneficial for you and what is not? Yeah, without prayer, right? Without some measure of discernment. I mean, yeah. you're going to end up with know? a pros and cons list that's probably going to be fraught with peril at best in terms of how you're evaluating things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I also think that, I mean, that posture, if I'm understanding the question right, I mean, that really, I think it's talking about maintaining a posture of, of humility and surrender, you know, and, you know, I, I, yeah, for sure, you know, for certain, if you're faced with a decision, you know, in terms of the pros and cons and what's good and what's bad, but for me, I feel like I haven't really fully understood what was good or what was bad until after I've come through a season and I can look back in hindsight and then, right, you know, yeah. I think that we were able to kind of view it, obviously, through seeing seeing more of what, what God all, all had in mind, you know, and I think, you know, um, I just heard this quote the other day. It's like, you know, when, when when it's not God's timing, you can't force it, but when it is God's timing, you can't stop it. And, and that idea that if we're trying to force our way into something, it's probably not God's timing. And, you know, classic for me, I, I graduated college at Northwestern. I don't know if there's any students listening without putting any ring on any finger by spring. And I was as single as can be. And I thought <laughs> I missed my chance. You know, what am I going to do? Where am I going to meet? And I, I was trying to force different connections and doing all these different things. And I finally got to this point where I thought, you know what? I, I just need to stop, you know, my focus is in the wrong place. This is not God's timing. And it wasn't until a season of learning contentment that the Lord brought my future wife into my life at a time that I least expected it. Well, Justin, that reminds me of a conversation I just had at Mount Rushmore. And I was walking around. <laughs> I'm serious. I was walking around. Which president were you talking joke. to, Tom? <laughs> I, I was walking around Mount Rushmore. Here comes a couple elderly people in wheelchairs, and they saw my Minnesota T-shirt, and uh, we got into the politics of Minnesota. But anyway, as a Christian lady, and I quoted to her what Billy Graham's wife said, quote, I'm glad God does not answer all my prayers. If he had, I would have married the wrong man five times. And that just says to me, you know, pray as you will, but always allow God to say no. And if he says no, it's because he's got something better for you. So I, I think we're, yeah. we're free to pray for whatever, uh, but mm-hmm. um, always say but not my will, but thine be done. And then, I mean, just even, uh, even on little stuff, just uh, do what you're supposed to do and then let God rearrange things. All right, let me take a little break. Guide Talk is uh, happening, and we're going to do the extended play version. So we're going to be on for another 50 minutes. Let me know what your questions are. You can actually call if you want to get into this circle of discussion. We'd love to hear your voice, 877 933 
888-344-1484. Maybe you have a question. Maybe you've got a comment. Maybe you want us to clarify something you've heard. We're open to all of that. We're just here to serve you. Let us know what your questions are. 877-93-FAITH. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Guide Talk. We've got a power panel in place, lots of pastors. Let me know what your questions are, 877-93-FAITH. Question, gentlemen, has, uh, how unpredictable is God? I was just thinking of the verse two minutes ago. Wow. Man plans his steps, but the Lord directs his paths. Right. And I think God, I think God is unpredictable. You can plan your steps and then... God will do what he wants, you know? So, and, I, and, I, and it's a good thing when he does that because it's for our best, and our, our plans can be pretty dumb. So, uh, But, yeah, he can be pretty unpredictable. <laughs> well, and he always has been, and he will continue to be that way because he is the Lord. I mean, our thoughts are not his thoughts, and our ways are not his ways because he knows, he sees everything from beginning to end where we have a tendency to be in the moment and... You know, it's taken me a number of years, but I've begun to appreciate that more and more about Jesus, that he knows where he's going. You know, I think I know where I'm going in life, but he really knows where we're going, and he knows how to get me there. Yeah, and I think mm-hmm. if you go back to what we were talking about earlier, if you're willing to surrender and and pray, you know, your will be done in my life, God, regardless of what comes, uh, I, I don't know that God feels like he's unpredictable, but I bet you might feel that God is unpredictable in terms of what uh-huh. is— uh, is coming and and you know it calls it one of my favorite series of books that's ever been written as C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia and so if people are listening and they haven't had a chance to read that uh, it's really worth reading through those seven books where where Lewis just does such good work through story sort of highlighting some of really key principles in the kingdom and and I remember in the Lion the Witch and the Wardrobe in particular when these four children find themselves in this magical land of Narnia that uh, they they get wind of Aslan, who is the lion, who is also sort of the Jesus figure in the story, through some conversations with the Beaver family. And they begin to ask questions of the Beaver family. Who is this lion? And and at one point, I can't remember which of the four children asked the question, but they they asked the Beaver family, so he's a lion. Is he safe? And the Beavers kind of laugh at him. And and they say, "Uh, safe? Of course he's not safe. Whoever said anything about him being safe? But he's good. And uh, yeah. and I appreciate that comment that stuck with me ever since I've read that in that story, that to, to follow God in the unknown is not going to be safe. And and Jesus is very clear. He says, if you want to follow me, the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. Why are you going to expect anything different? And, and so if you're following me for a life of comfort, for a life of predictability, for a life where then you'll get your pension filled and, and all your blessings that, that you think you need and, and all of that, you're fallen for the wrong reasons. I mean, every one of the disciples was killed for their faith, uh, other than John, who was exiled on the on the island of Patmos. And yet, their life was filled with a power and a wonder and and an opportunity and a bearing witness mm-hmm. to the kingdom. That I think they, pri- I, I don't want to speak for them, but I felt, I, I bet they felt pretty fully alive, uh, as opposed mm-hmm. to sort of deadened in in so many ways that we do mm-hmm. when we're trying to live this life of safety. And Peter, yeah, correct. I, maybe we're talking about the same scene in Narnia, but Peter, yeah. is there a scene? Is there a scene there 
where somebody, where, where Aslan, the, the Christ figure, is walking along, and these two people are looking at him, and one of them says, he's a wonderful lion, but he's not yes. a tame lion. Yes. Is that a, yes, is that the that's exactly scene? right, Tom. Yes. Okay, okay. And Love you know, it. The, the speak, speaking of the fact that God's a wonderful God, uh, he has plans for us, but, you know, Jesus was crucified, Paul was probably beheaded, and but even in a weird way, those were wonderful plans. It saves yeah. the world, and Paul is, mm-hmm. is being read more than any other single Christian in the history of— and so even if you really get dumped on, uh, it's a wonderful plan if it's from the Lord. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, what comes to my mind, too, is, you know, whether or not God's predictable, but he's, he certainly is faithful. You know, in other words, uh-huh. we can look back on, on the history of—, of of his encountering humanity. And we see that in the pages of scripture and I, I, and kind of, you know, in a sense are able to predict maybe probably what, what's likely going to happen or maybe what, you know, what God might do in any given situation, even though we, we cannot know entirely for sure. So, I mean, I think what comes to my mind is the prophet Jonah. And of course we all know, you know, he said, go to, go to Nineveh and preach. And he said, no, and he didn't go. And we know why at the end in, in chapter four, because he knew, he said that after he preached and finally went after being swallowed in the big fish and spit up and went and finally obeyed, um, that he granted repentance. And, and he said, I knew, I knew you were going to do this. That's why I didn't want to go. And so there's a sense in which <laughs> J- Jonah knew, he knew that if I go and preach and tell him about God's judgment, and, I, and then I know they're going to repent. Why? Because God's a gracious God, and he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and forgiveness. And I don't want that for them because they're my enemy. So there's a sense in which, you know, we can kind of predict what God's going to do because he's faithful, but yet in our pride, we can't fully predict what God's going to do in any given situation because we can't, we don't have control, um, and he does. So, All right, let me uh, address a question from uh, Lucille from Crookston. She said, I was taught saying, gosh, golly, heck. Was that a form of swearing? Wondering what you think. You know, I don't say, oh, my gosh, because it's too close to, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, uh, Bill, uh, this Sunday I turned on TV, and here's a preacher on Sunday morning, twice in the middle of his sermon, he said, my God. And I'm thinking, ooh. And then, yeah. and then I, I, I went off and I preached at a church uh, this Sunday. And here's a really nice, wonderful uh, Christian woman, spiritual and I leave the parking lot, and I hear saying, her saying, oh, my God, to her friend. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, yeah. So I for sure of, of, avoid, oh, my God. But I don't even say, oh, my gosh, because uh, somebody might mishear it. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be a legalist, but just I, <laughs> I, when I was a new preacher, I, an old Lutheran pastor heard me say, darn it, in one of my sermons. And he told me, you know, you really shouldn't do that. And I thought, oh. and you know, I don't, I, I don't think it's a big deal. But I, I even avoid that because mm-hmm. darn is probably a substitute for damn, you know. And uh, so, I'm more worried about people using Jesus' name in vain. Of course, you know, and, and of course, I hate the, I hate the other ones. But we're in a culture now. I mean, wife loves HGTV, so we always watch these home renovations. <laughs> Everybody who comes in after the house renovated uses, oh my uh, God, or oh my gosh, yeah. or whatever, over and over. Yeah. The, the yeah. question is, how do we get people to finally personalize their relationship with the Lord? Because I don't mm-hmm. call my wife names. I don't call my kids names. I don't call my friends names. I respect them. 
And the only way I know to get rid of it is to really know him. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting, the the, mm. the the H word, H-E-L-L and D-A-M-N, uh, are words that I think Satan would love for us to use repeatedly and casually, because yeah. mm-hmm. those words should make us quiver when we hear them. The last mm-hmm. thing you want to I... do is be damned. Yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. can I ask you, Bill, uh, or can I get you? I grew up in a house where my dad said, oh, hell, a lot. Mm-hmm. But mom wouldn't let us say it. <laughs> and I have an opinion, but if I can ask the panel here, why shouldn't we say, oh, hell? I think What's we're gonna, wrong with We're going to have to take that up uh, after the break because we're already at the end of our first hour. <laughs> That's why we're doing the Phew. British version, the extended play. And we're going to stay with Guy Talk for 30 more minutes. So keep your questions coming in. And, guys, I will just give you a, a heads up. Uh, when we return, I do want you to look at First uh, Corinthians. Where was that passage, Rebecca? 12, 22 to 24. That's 12, the one. 12, nice. 22 to 24. We'll be right back with more Guy Talk. Let me know if you've got a question, an issue, or something you would like to join us on the program. You can uh, call and speak to us. I'm not sure you'd want to do that. But you can also text. might be safer. Again, the number is 877-933-2484. Who's brave enough to call and get in the conversation? We can hardly wait. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.